policymakers don't make sure that laws really do promote the free exercise of religion for all Americans, they'll continue to be used as tools for discrimination and political gain. And of course, it shouldn't be a tool to ensure only a specific set of religious beliefs or to prioritize certain communities above others. That's not fair. Welcome to the Shrinks on Third Psychology and Social Justice Podcast. I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. Come on in. Today, Julie and I are discussing one of the most important principles upon which the United States was founded. Religious freedom. The United States was founded on the principle of religious liberty, which is now under threat. From the beginning, our society was established without a government-sanctioned religion, extremely unusual for the time, and it was cemented in the First Amendment. The First Amendment to the United States Constitution states that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The First Amendment includes the right to change your religion or beliefs, and you have the right to put your thoughts and beliefs into action, meaning You have a right to wear religious clothing, the right to talk about your beliefs, or to take part in religious worship. Or to do none of the above. Yep. The founders also protected the rights of religious institutions and ensured all Americans could express diverse beliefs without government interference. Exactly. But in recent years, the right to religious liberty has increasingly been exploited and misused to favor the interests of select privileged conservatives over the basic rights of the most vulnerable Americans. Freedom of worship, believe it or not, is an important element of democracy. So 25 years ago, the Federal Religious Freedom Restoration Act was added into law to clarify and expand our right to religious liberty because we needed that because people are always trying to mess with it. Its purpose, uh, the RFRA, was in protecting the free exercise of religion and the right of religious liberty for all Americans. It passed with widespread bipartisan support and was supported by many faith communities, civil rights advocates, and politicians. So in 2014, however, the U.S. Supreme Court decision in Burwell versus Hobby Lobby, you may remember the name Hobby Lobby, Yeah, marked a major shift in the interpretation of religious exemptions from religiously neutral laws. So instead of protecting religious rights, RFRA was used to intentionally discriminate. So just to remind you, if you've heard of it before, the decision treated two for-profit corporations, the craft chain Hobby Lobby and the furniture maker Conestoga Woods specialists as if they were individuals and gave them the right to the free exercise of religion. This ruling allowed the religious beliefs of company owners to override those of their employees, taking away employee access to no cost contraceptive health coverage to which they're entitled under federal law. 
religious liberty is being more frequently misused to discriminate against vulnerable communities. So that's an example of the beginning of this turning of the tide, even though there are earlier examples, I'm sure. Right, religious liberty should be extended to all people, not just to those with specific religious beliefs, which we see a lot, but that seems to defeat the whole purpose. A 2014 study from the Pew Research Center shows that the number of adults who don't identify with a specific religion is growing and the Christian population is declining. And as it declines, those who identify with other religions or who aren't affiliated with a religion are growing. So it's really important to have more interfaith understanding. Yes. So the freedom is even more important. Yes. Protecting religious liberty, first of all, it is extremely important to many of Americans. It's a priority to many Americans, even though it's being chipped away at. Yeah, I read that almost two-thirds of Americans believe there should be a strict separation between church and state, and that nine out of ten agree that the United States was founded with universal religious freedom that should extend to people of all religions. You know, two-thirds means there's one-third of the population that doesn't think there should be separation of church and state, and that really bothers me. It's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. But policymakers have a responsibility to enact policies that will ensure the right of religious liberty to all Americans without infringements on the rights and religious freedoms of others. They do, and that's really important. And another issue is that healthcare institutions also have a responsibility to protect patient well-being. A case in point is that Catholic hospitals hold one in six hospital beds in the United States. One in six. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, the numbers increase because of the high number of Catholic and secular hospital mergers that have happened in recent years. So when hospitals merge, some or all of their policies obviously also merge. Policies that govern Catholic hospitals come from the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, so they can't really change some of those things because they're, you know, steeped in the directives of their religion. So although federal law prohibits hospitals from denying emergency care to people who need it, for example, and Catholic hospitals won't do that, but they can limit, for example, essential reproductive health services even with a miscarriage happening or other pregnancy complication where someone is bleeding or infected or in excruciating pain. So they might not provide the health care, the proper health care in that situation because of their religious directives. That's a little scary. Right, because they might need, you know, some kind of a medical procedure. And there's other procedures too. I mean, I don't even know all of what they are, but you know, there's sometimes you just need a DNC and I don't know what they will and won't provide, but it. Well, it's scary if it's one out of six hospital beds we're talking about where you're not sure that you're going to get the medical care you want or need. Or need. Mm -hmm. So I know you're familiar with this. A couple of years ago, there was a major community reaction to a planned merger between two hospitals local to our Philadelphia suburban area the secular Abington Hospital and the Catholic Holy Redeemer Hospital, the merger plans were done kind of secretly, quietly, and they were announced when they were basically done. But because there was such strong community protests, the hospitals did not end up going through with the merger. So that's one that didn't happen, but clearly there's a lot happening. Right. 
And a healthcare institution's grounding in a certain faith isn't harmful in and of itself. I mean, this isn't maybe totally relevant, but it just reminds me at the end of my mother's life, a hospital worker told her that Jesus would be coming for her. And she wasn't a believer that way. But she said, I know it's time to go and I don't care who comes for me as long as they come soon. So, you know, she also welcomed prayers from all religions, as I think many people would, I guess, once you're dying. I don't know. No, I think a lot of people might not. I mean, you know, if someone told me Jesus was coming for me, I might make a joke like, oh, is he the aide who's going to wheel me to the dining hall? <laughs> but I don't know that I would feel comforted by that because that's not my religion. Like, I, it feels intrusive. So your mom maybe was, you know, really good that way, but not everybody is for sure. Mm, I'm sure that's true. It becomes a concern if an institution lacks transparency on how its faith background might affect its policies in ways that can have repercussions on a patient's ability to get necessary services. You know, some hospitals are portraying themselves as more secular by removing religious symbols and changing their names. So they kind of hide that they're religious even when they still are. Yeah, that's tricky. So patients might not be aware that they're even at a Catholic hospital. So another procedure, women might unknowingly plan to deliver their babies at hospitals that don't offer tubal ligation because of religious objections, but tubal ligations are safe and are commonly performed contraceptive procedures, and they're safest and most effective when they're done right after a delivery. So some women find out they can't get it done when they're actually still on the table, like after they've just had an emergency C-section or something where they were brought to the closest hospital, and it happens to be a Catholic one. Yeah, so then they can't get the services they want and need. Right. But people can't always seek healthcare services at the hospital of their choice. Like you said, an emergency C-section, you go wherever you get in. And a patient's decision to get to a certain hospital, it, it's, you know, it's out of necessity and because there's a lack of other options. And that's increasingly true too. In poorer neighborhoods, there are fewer and fewer hospitals available. So religious exemptions shouldn't be able to override non-discrimination in healthcare. Religious liberty has also been used to discriminate in child welfare programs like adoption and foster care. Some states have passed laws that allow child welfare programs to deny services based on your religious beliefs. So, for example, LGBTQ parents or even parents of other religions, Jewish parents, have been refused the opportunity to adopt and foster children. And some states allow child welfare programs to refuse certain medical treatments to LGBTQ children, which seems, you know, denying children potential loving families or proper medical care doesn't make sense, especially from a religious freedom perspective. Yes, it seems pretty hypocritical that the only way you can adopt or foster a child is if you are Christian. If you're going to bring it up in the manner in which they believe it should happen. Yeah, that's, that is not religious freedom. No. It's bad enough when the state deems it's okay not to bake a cake or cater in any way to someone they choose to discriminate against. I'm sure you might remember that case. But these examples show the extremes that, that this can lead to, and it can obviously be very harmful. A lot of times, conservative Protestant Christian beliefs are held over all others. The majority of American people are opposed to all forms of discrimination including business owners refusing service to people based on objections to their sexual orientation or gender identification. 
I mean, that's actually been in surveys and studies. And until recently, the Supreme Court decisions have upheld that religious liberty stops when it begins to harm somebody else. Yeah, until recently. It's unusual for the Justice Department to argue for the right to discriminate. Soon after ruling in favor of the baker to deny cake to a same-sex couple, they wanted to buy a wedding cake, and the baker refused to bake it for them because they were a same-sex couple. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the U.S. can deny travel and entry for individuals from certain predominantly Muslim countries. So it started with the baking of a cake, and then it ended, you know, it kind of fed over into other areas like travel and what services we don't have to perform for people we don't want to. Right. And the problem is it's Muslim countries that we weren't allowing travel from. In other words, we were saying their religion is the reason we're keeping them out. Just like the baker was allowed to not bake the wedding cake because they didn't approve of the same-sex couple. This is not religious freedom, but the Supreme Court backed both. Right. And then there's weirdness in that a majority of white evangelical Protestants, as in 69% majority, believe that religious liberty is under threat. And 50% believe that Christians face the most discrimination in America. (laughs) Only 44% of those people believe that Muslims face any discrimination. So white evangelical Protestants feel strongly victimized, but facts actually show, statistics show, other religious groups are in reality being harmed by religious-based discrimination and even hate crimes much more frequently. FBI hate crime data from 2017 show that almost 80% of all incidents of religiously motivated hate crimes that year were motivated by anti-Jewish or anti-Muslim bias, not anti-Christian Protestant. But both the executive and judicial branches of government have prioritized the alleged discrimination felt by white evangelical Protestants instead of prioritizing the actual threats that the other groups face. So many of the same people who claim their religious liberty is under attack are actively working to attack others and to embed their own religious beliefs into state law or national law. And people who you know, voice reasonable concerns are made to seem anti-religious or unpatriotic. Right, that's propaganda. In 2018, many bills promoted religion in public schools, threatened marriage equality, and denied adoptive and foster homes on the basis of religion. That's 2018. That's a few years ago. Yeah. Misusing religious liberty has prioritized some political goals and religious beliefs over the importance of the separation of church and state. Even though that high number, you know, what you said of all the people that actually want the separation of church and state is the majority. Religious liberty should protect, not harm people and communities. Right. Laws shouldn't serve to protect discrimination and religion should not be used to justify discrimination. But for-profit business corporations have begun to successfully use claims of religious freedom to challenge anti-discrimination law. Following the 2014 Hobby Lobby decision, States can implement legislation to ensure that corporations are not using religious freedom to justify discrimination, but do they? Under current law, they can actually discriminate against individual during the hiring process and later 
claim that laws against discrimination in hiring don't apply because of owner or corporations, like the corporation is like a person, their religious beliefs. Yeah, all of this needs to be seriously addressed and less often heard voices should be included in all of our decision-making, policy-making, including atheists, women, LGBTQ people, people of color, and people of every religion. Right. Some states and local governments engage faith leaders on local issues by creating interfaith task forces and advisory councils. There are definitely legislative options at all levels where we can make sure that religious liberty isn't used to justify discrimination. Laws like the Religious Freedom Restoration Act need to work better to uphold rights to religious liberty. Well, they need to not be applied to corporations as though they're people. Yeah. That would would really help. If policymakers don't make sure that laws really do promote the free exercise of religion for all Americans, they'll continue to be used as tools for discrimination and political gain. And of course, it shouldn't be a tool to ensure only a specific set of religious beliefs or to prioritize certain communities above others. That's not fair. So a lot of this happens all over the place and individual states should guarantee freedom of religion in the same way that the federal government supposedly tries to. But they don't always. So lots of controversial cases end up before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court. It certainly feels like religion matters there. Catholic conservatives, um, an outlook that has appealed to recent Republican presidents, are filling up our judicial vacancies. Sonia Sotomayor is the only current Catholic justice appointed by a Democrat. She has pretty liberal views. The others... Chief Justice John Roberts, Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, Brett Kavanaugh, and now Amy Coney Barrett were appointed by Republicans. Right. For most of U.S. history, the high court, like the country, was almost entirely white male Protestant Christians. It's so diverse now. Well, it just switched loyalties. (laughs) So there's been a majority of Catholic justices on the Supreme Court since Alito joined in 2006. Today, six of the nine justices are Catholic. Seven, if you count Neil Gorsuch, who was raised Catholic, but now goes to a different church. And Barrett's membership in a conservative religious group became an issue during her confirmation hearing because it's a serious traditionalist group. Yeah, fundamentalist. Yeah. But she made it on, just like Kavanaugh made it on. Two thirds of the current Supreme Court were raised Catholic. Though Catholics only make up about 20% of the U.S. population. How weird is that? Catholics are also overrepresented on Capitol Hill. 31% of Congress, when sworn in last year, identified as Catholic. Imagine if they were Jews or Muslims. People would be up in arms. Like It's like a takeover. <laughs> but Catholics do you know, tend to believe all over the political spectrum. Their religiosity isn't a problem per se. Right. But there is a strong conservative value component and conservative Catholic justices are the ones that appeal to the Republican presidents because their vote can be relatively predictable on abortion. It always comes down to abortion. It really does. That doesn't apply to Justice Sotomayor, but it does apply to every male Catholic on the court. A major goal for them, like many conservatives and one that's strongly supported by Catholic theology is decreasing the power of Roe versus Wade. These men were appointed because they're traditionalists. Oh, and and the same with Barrett. She is a Catholic traditionalist, so there's a female. Yes. 
The court has made an ideological move to the right, which has a lot of implications for health care, voting rights, and lots of other issues. The Constitution says there shall be no religious test for office, but in reality, there is some association between people's religious beliefs and their politics. The Supreme Court isn't supposed to be a place for applying religious principles to the law. The court's purpose is supposed to be to settle controversial decisions from the lower courts, determine whether laws are in conflict with the Constitution or other federal laws. Right. The composition of the Supreme Court has never reflected the composition of the country. The overwhelming majority of Supreme Court justices have come from elite private schools and, as mentioned, comprised white male Protestants for the longest time. Even though we're not a Christian country, we're a country that reflects not just Judeo-Christian ideals, but very much Protestant ideals. The justice's religion or lack of it shouldn't matter. Just who's doing a good job being a judge? Of course, religion helps to form beliefs, ideas, and how people live their lives, but it should not be a a substitute for being an impartial justice. Yeah, so what's important about religious freedom is that religious protection has to be balanced with non-discrimination in ways that don't leave vulnerable communities at risk. Yeah, hospitals and specific healthcare providers could be required to clarify the types of services they do and do not provide. So patients who enter hospitals are better informed, although that does not help in an emergency. Local policymakers should clarify and explicitly state that it's against federal law to deny emergency reproductive health care, because it is, at least for now. Is there a resource for people who believe that their religious freedom is being infringed on or that someone else's is? Well, one is called Freedom House, which provides help and assistance to religious freedom defenders and survivors of religious persecution in many different countries. It covers medical treatment, legal representation, prison visits, support, and temporary relocation for people. They also support more local initiatives to promote tolerance and address hostility toward religious minority groups and ongoing tension with different communities, different faith communities. That is Freedom House. Okay, that's worth looking into. So thanks for joining us in our conversation about religious freedom. Thanks for listening today. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on Third. Until next time, take care.